and real talk on divine healing. And so I wanted to do part two today, uh, like I promised. So we're going to be talking about the second part of this uh, thing on divine healing. It's what I meant to get to last week, but it wasn't. Uh, I got so, <laughs> which often happens with me, I got so lost in the introduction and talking about uh, uh, sort of rearranging maybe some ideas or models or thoughts that we've had about divine healing, particularly if you come out of the Christian perspective or the Christian movement. I'll kind of recap, recapsulate a little bit of what we talked about last week with it, and then we'll get into the parts that we weren't able to get into. So I promised that we talk about, uh, I'd, I'd get in a little bit into the tarot and consciousness and the Bible. And so we're going to, we're going to do that, but let's back up just a little bit and, and let's, uh, kind of go over a little bit of what we did last week. So last week I was just, uh, and I want to start out, I started out last week saying this. I want to start out with this week as well by saying that I am certainly not, uh, don't consider myself an expert in divine healing and I don't know all there is to know about divine healing. I have seen a lot of divine healing, both in my life personally and in people that we've ministered to over the years. I shared some of those stories. And um, some of you that are on here <clears throat> have also been very involved with divine healing and that kind of stuff. So so I don't, I don't want to re- rehash all that. I just want to say that I'm not an expert. I don't have all the answers. Um, I, I'm not an all-powerful genie that can just go fix every situation and bring healing to everybody. But I want to I want to share where I have arrived based on my experience, based on my study, based on prayer and meditation, those kinds of things. And then you can take the parts that work for you and fit it into your framework if you want to, or you can throw it out, which, of course, you know, we all do anyway. It's not like you need my permission to do that. I'm just trying to say that I am not trying to be an authority or in, by any means the final authority on any of this stuff. Now, one of the things that we talked about, last week was sort of dismantling this idea that there is this God in the sky. And so this is where I've really struggled with Christianity, particularly Western evangelical Christianity, because the frames in the Bible itself, and by frames I mean the ideas, the the concepts, some of them of God that we are given from the scriptures, uh, really lend itself to a fracturing of reality in the sense that it separates everything. So we're down here and God is up there. And I talked about the anthropomorphic, which is a fancy word, which means we put human characteristics and human attributes that we experience within ourselves and we magnify those and we project those into an image of God that we create and then exalt and worship. And I'm not going to rehash all of that, but one of the things that I talked about was that we project this idea of this will upon God uh, as though God is sitting on a throne out there somewhere, separate from us, separate from our life experience, uh, disconnected from us in the same way that a king or a ruler or a president might be disconnected from us. And we have this idea that if we're going to get a miracle, if we're going to get a healing, if we're going to get an intervention, that we have to convince this God out there to make a choice on our behalf, to make a choice or judgment in our favor. And so when we're praying for healing for ourselves or praying for healing for other people, we get into this issue of is it God's will? Is it not God's will? And uh, all kinds of just just crazy stuff. And so 
we challenged that. We spent last uh, week, last Sunday, challenging that. Many of you were on for that or watched it, I'm sure. Challenging that model, and then I tried to introduce a different model that really comes out of John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. Uh, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, that's an interesting translation. The older translations of the scriptures, the one that are closer to the times that the Gospel of John was actually written, Cyril of Jerusalem, for example, wrote a commentary on the Gospel of John. And you can look that up. And in his uh, translation or his manuscript of John that he was operating from, instead of saying, in him was life, and the life was the light of all men, he says, coming on the heels of this idea that the Logos created everything, that without him nothing was made that has been made, talking about all things. And then what it says in his commentary that John said was, and in all things is life, and that life is the light of men. In all, <laughs> in all things, or in all. So, obviously, so, so you, you see... The difference, if it's in him was life and the life was the light of men, then that's separation. He's, he's the source of it, but we still don't have it. The world, the universe doesn't have it, and we somehow have to get it. But if Cyril of Jerusalem's manuscript, which again is closer, I think Cyril of Jerusalem was writing around the 4th, 5th, or 6th century. I can't remember, uh, but you can look it up. You can, you can Google it. Uh, so, you know, the manuscripts that we have that were closer, there's this idea that light and life is in everything. That it originates from the Logos as the source, but that it's in everything, including you. He is the light that gives light to every person that comes into the world. And so what I presented was this idea that God is, is the eternal essence, if you will, in which, as the Apostle Paul said in Acts 17, we live and move and have our very being. And so this thing that gives life to everything, that gives life to my plants, that gives life to my animals, that gives life to me, that gives life to the bugs, that gives life to my kids, that gives life to you. That's the unifying force, this life force. It's what we all have in common. And, and it's, it's operating in us. It's supporting us. We don't, we don't keep ourselves alive in the sense that we don't digest our food. We have no choice in the digestion of our food. Once it gets in our stomach, it just operates. Our heart continues to beat. We continue to breathe. Uh, our immune system, unless, you know, there's problems, uh, but in a, in a natural, normal situation, the immune system is working. And all these things are working and operating at a, unconscious level, at a level of consciousness where there's an intelligence to it, there's an intelligence in ourselves that tells them to reproduce, there's an intelligence that digests our food and changes it into energy for us, and this intelligence is operating completely independently of our ego or our conscious self, self-consciousness, and it's operating everywhere. That's the idea of the Logos, that's the idea of light and life being in all things. And so we are surrounded by healing presence, and we are surrounded by life force. We, your body naturally heals itself. If you cut yourself, your body's going to naturally heal. If you burn yourself, your body's going to naturally heal. If you get a cold, most of the times your body's immune system is going to be able to fight that off. 
Uh, I've heard some doctors and scientists say that we have cancer cells growing in us all the time, but our immune system attacks and gets rid of those cancer cells and keeps us, keeps us healthy. So, so that, all of that is divine life. All of that is divine healing power. It's, so, so there have been a number of times I was trying to think of different testimonies I could share today without getting too hung up on it. But there have been a number of times that I have prayed for people um, who had uh, various different injuries, sprains or breaks. And I could literally feel underneath my hand as I was praying the sprain healing itself. Um, it's going through the same natural, I mean, you could feel it, or the bone. I've been, a number of times I felt the bone literally move back into place and, and heal instantly. In those situations, all we're doing is speeding up, or all that's happening is that the natural healing process is simply being sped up. So I don't want you to get this idea that you have to contact something that you're not in contact with every single day of your life. When we start talking about being a vessel of divine healing presence or a vessel of divine healing power, we're not talking about something that you have to access that you don't already have access and have working within you uh, all the time. What we're talking about is how do we access more of that and how do we get it working in such a way that it can speed up those natural healing processes like what I'm talking about in there. Does that make sense? <clears throat> all right. So here's the premise that I want you to, I want to invite you to think about. I want to invite you to think about that you are surrounded at all times by omnipotence, all powerfulness, <laughs> all powerfulness, omnipotence, that you are surrounded by a healing power that's working, an operational healing power that's working that is in you, working all the time, that is around you, that is in all things, that you are not trying to get something that you don't already have, even as a natural person. You know, we used to say that. I want to clarify what I'm saying because we used to say that in Christianity when we would talk about uh, the finished work of Christ. You, you already have access to everything God's made available. Uh, but it was still coming from this place of disconnection and this idea that there was a supernatural, there was a power other than. And I want to really be clear, the same power that keeps your heart beating, the same power that digests your food, that same life power, is the same life power that is accessed in every healing miracle or work that appears to be supernatural, that appears to come from another place or another dimension or from another being. All, but, but it's not. It's the same power. It's the same presence. It's the light and life that is in all things, that is in Christ, that is in the source. So let's do it this way. The power that created everything, the power that created everything, you are already tapped into and already accessing and already intimately acquainted and involved in. But most of the time, if not all of the time, it is operating outside of your conscious awareness or the way your mind, the way your brain has been trained from birth to think and feel and believe 
about that stuff. Now, because uh, light, particularly in, in the way John's using it, speaks of consciousness, to walk in darkness in John's understanding is not to walk with your eyes shut or to walk around in literal darkness. It's to walk around in ignorance. It's to not be able to see. It's to be without revelation or it's to be without consciousness of something. And so this intelligence, there's an intelligence that keeps the sun spinning and orbiting around the sun. You know, I heard somebody say, I thought it was funny, I heard somebody say recently, uh, all, all of us want control. You know, we want security. We want to have some kind of security. We want to have some kind of control. The, the, the world seems out of control with the pandemic and shutdown and whatever, and we want to have some kind of control. And think about this. You are on a giant spaceship that's going thousands of miles an hour through space with nobody driving it. And you say you want to have some sense of security. But the reality is there is an intelligent force that's driving it. There is an intelligent force that keeps the atoms together, that keeps your cells regenerating, that keeps your heart beating. I'm going to keep hitting this over and over again because it's breaking down, hopefully, some of that separation and dualism. That same intelligence, that same force that keeps the earth moving around the sun and, and moving and rotating, that same force that's holding all things together, it's an intelligence, it's a consciousness. So this light power, this life power that's out there, that's always working in you, that's, uh, that's surrounding you, that's interpenetrating you, that is divine, that is source, the source energy, you are connected to it. You are an extension of it. You are an expression of it. You are not other than it. You are not separate from it. So therefore, there is not this, this ego entity. See, 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 God is egoless. God, this, this intelligent force, this God that in whom we live and move and have our being does not have an ego. But what we've done is we created an ego and then we projected it onto God. And part of the ego is that God has to decide that God's sitting there saying, well, somebody's good, somebody's bad. Somebody deserves healing. Somebody doesn't deserve healing. You need to learn something. Uh, this isn't just right. Do, do, do you follow what I'm saying? I'm saying that God transcends all of that. So, so when you're praying to a God like that, what you're doing is you're absolutely nothing, frankly. You're, you're not accessing the power and the presence and, and the source energy and the creative life and light that is already around you and surrounding you and interpenetrating you. But it's connected to your consciousness. So it's not about trying to convince. It's about what do I need to do with my consciousness in order to uh, access more of this. Or let's, let's do it this way. Our conditioned consciousness is what gets in the way of the natural flowing of this life power to sustain us and renew us and keep us alive and help us live longer and all that stuff. That we're actually programmed in our consciousness, programmed in our mind, programmed in our thinking to be in opposition to it. So I used the illustration last week about if you think about divine life and light and healing as sunlight and you think about your consciousness as a pane of glass, then that light will shine through that pane of glass to varying degrees. The clearer the glass, the more that light can shine. The more translucent that glass, the less that light can shine. And if the glass is opaque then it cannot shine at all. 
And the condition of our thinking, to a very large degree, seems to at least have an effect on how transparent we are or how well that light can shine through us. And so I shared uh, last week that, um, you know, we believed in healing, but we didn't see much of it. Had all, you know, all these various different doctrines. And then when I began to question doctrine or I began to not place as much emphasis on it, my own personal life and walk, and I began to spend more time in meditation. Uh, back then we called it contemplative prayer, but it was basically a Christianized, sanctified version of transcendental meditation. When I started practicing some of the principles um, in Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, being present in the moment, realizing that God's presence, that presence is in the moment, losing that idea of separation that comes from the ego, and then I read uh, Agnes Sanford's book, The Healing Light. And so all these things kind of happened at once. I began to practice. Uh, and Agnes Sanford, she talks about the same principle in her book, The Healing Light. She talks about being surrounded by God's presence, God's healing light, she calls it, and inviting uh, in your imagination that healing light to come into you. Now, let me just say something. When you're inviting the healing light to come in, it's not coming from the outside in. It, you are inviting it into your consciousness. You're inviting it into your mind, not into your being, not into your body, uh, and really not even into your mind, but because we don't have a consciousness and awareness of it, when we imagine light coming in, uh, that's exactly what we're doing. We're imagining, but in reality, what we're trying to do is align ourselves with what's already present, but we've chosen, for whatever reason, to not be able to see. Is this, is this making sense to you guys? So, what do we need to remove? <laughs> what do we need to get out of the way? And so that's going to bring me, I'm going to go ahead and use a scripture here, uh, to Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to, I'm going to reframe it a little bit for you. You'd be familiar with it if you're familiar with this kind of stuff, you know, if you come out of this, because um, people love to preach this passage. Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, in the New King James, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So he says, present your bodies, first of all. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So <clears throat> we love to preach that and teach that whole whole classes and seminars base healing counseling modalities on this idea that we are transformed or changed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, and then we use that to say, well, if you memorize scripture if you believe the truth, if you make affirmations, if you convince yourself that something's true, then you can change. You can be transformed. And there's truth to that. Or we say, if you change the way you think, you can change the way you behave. If you change the way you think and you change the way you behave, you change the person that you are. And so therefore, by changing the way you think, 
you are transformed. And there's truth to that. And so the idea is, well, let's find uh, maybe some core beliefs that you have that are toxic for you or they're not helpful for you, not resourceful for you. Like let's say uh, uh, you believe that you're worthless, you believe that you're hopeless, believe that you're powerless, believe that things never work out for you, believe that you're never enough. Pick, pick one. How much do you believe it and scale from zero to ten? Zero meaning you don't believe it at all. Ten meaning it's absolutely true and nobody's going to convince me of anything different. Say, well, I, I believe that I don't measure up feels true to about an eight. And we say, okay, well, now what we want you to do is to believe that you do measure up, uh, that you do have worth. And so we're going to give you some affirmations that say, I have self-worth. Want to say, you want, we want you to say these in the morning as soon as you wake up. We want you to say them at night before you go to bed. We want you to imagine yourself as what you would be like if you had self-worth. Imagine a future where you already have self-worth and how are you different and what are you doing. So we do all that stuff, right? And then the idea is if the person can exchange the belief get rid of the belief that they don't have worth, and then suddenly develop an emotional, heartfelt belief that they are enough, then they believe that at a seven or an eight, then now their life is different. And those are all true things. But, 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 that is not what Paul the Apostle was talking about. Not at all what Paul the Apostle is talking about. <laughs> so how many remember the story of the transfiguration? I think it's in Mark 9, Luke 9, one of those nines. <laughs> I don't remember the gospel. Story of the Transfiguration. Jesus goes up on a mountain and he takes three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. He goes up on a mountain and uh, it says that as he went to, to pray, that he began to radiate light from his body. He began to radiate light from his body and his garments changed and they became white, whiter than any launderer's soap and... One of the versions says that his face shone like the sun and then a cloud enveloped him and Moses and Elijah came and spoke with him. And then a voice comes from the cloud and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And then the light goes away. Well, in the, in the text there, it says he was transfigured. We call it the transfiguration. Or some verses, Bible verses say, his appearance was changed or he was changed. It's a very specific Greek word. Metamorpho. Metamorpho. Now, <laughs> immediately your mind's going to go to metamorphosis. Your mind's going to go to the caterpillar and the butterfly, and that makes for a great way for you to understand it. But please understand that it was later, centuries later, that someone observed a caterpillar becoming a butterfly and adopted the Greek term to describe that process. They adopted the term metamorpho centuries later, to describe the process of the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. So even though that also preaches good and helps people understand it, that is not, and I'm going to say it again, that is not the way the biblical writers used it, the way the ancient Greeks used it, and it's certainly not the way Paul is using it. The word was a very specific word, metamorpho was a very specific word for becoming godlike. For becoming godlike for being able to radiate the life and the light and the power and the glory of the divine. It, it was a very specific word 
for the transformation of physical reality, if you will, into divine physical reality. It was a very specific term for the divinization, the becoming godlike of the mortals, of radiating and shining. And this is why in the ancient Christian art you see the radiant light, the halo. That's where the idea of the halo comes from. It's this idea in the consciousness. You always saw the light appear. So it's this idea of the consciousness becoming free so that the divine light and the divine life and the divine glory can radiate and shine out. And that's why Jesus' face shone like the sun. And it's the word metamorpho, and that's the word that Paul the Apostle is using. So, so Paul the Apostle is not talking about you changing your thinking and changing your behavior. He's talking about you doing something in your mind, doing something in your consciousness that unlocks and releases the divine, the divinity that you are, the divine potential that you are, the divine glory that you are, so that it can radiate and shine out from you. And when it radiates and shines out from you, then you are proving the will of God. You are proving, not finding out the will of God, not discovering the will of God, but you become the and the vessel and the vehicle that says that the, the, you get it, you become an expression of the living God. And so here's the thing when Jesus is on the mountain and he is transfigured, and he, all of a sudden now uh, there's light, all of a sudden now there's, there's access to, to, to those that have gone before, there's access to the person Moses, there's access to the person Elijah, there's access to the voice of God, there's access to all this stuff, there's a cloud of glory, if you will, that comes over him. That's the idea of transfiguration. And Paul's saying that all of us can have that experience because when the voice says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, this is my reproduction, this, this is my reproduction. Take the gender out of it, ladies, and, and, and it's not about gender. This is my, this is how I reproduce myself. This is what, this is what God's saying. This is what the voice is saying in, in Jesus. This is the Christ. This is how I reproduce myself. And you and I are also those reproductions. The problem is that we have shrunk our consciousness or society and, and us together, it's a cooperative effort. We can't blame society, but we can't be victims either. But this cooperative effort between our families and our school systems and society and religion and politics and, and, and people and, and, and whatever have caused us to shrink our consciousness down into what, uh, some spiritual teachers call the ego. I don't like that term because I think you need to have a strong, healthy ego. I don't think you need to try to get rid of your ego. I contend with that. I'm still going to contend with that. Um, I think that is, uh, anyway, I don't want to get into all that, but, but you see what I'm saying? Like, like we're disconnected from the light and the life that's in us. See the light and life is in you, but it doesn't radiate out from you because your mind hasn't been renewed. Now there's some other keys in here that Paul says. So he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. So now we know what transformation he's talking about. Yes, he's saying be deified. That would be a better translation because we read it as be changed, change your behavior, do all this human stuff on this human level. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying become divine. So he's saying, uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but become divine by the renewing of your mind. Now, the whole idea of sacrifice also is different in the ancient world. The idea of sacrifice, the idea of the altar table, 
was that you would present your sacrifice and God would inhabit it. That's why you have the Eucharist in the Catholic Church. It comes out of those ancient roots. We have so twisted and distorted and perverted the idea of sacrifice in modern day, and we read it back into the text, it had nothing to do with appeasing God, had nothing to do with with suffering. The suffering was incidental. The idea was the sacrifice was the food for the gods. You would offer it, and then the divine would inhabit it, and then the priest would eat it back. And when the priest would eat it back, he would become <laughs> divine. That, gang, is Catholic Mass. Catholic Mass. All right. I don't have time to get into that. But you get it. <laughs> so this whole idea is running through Paul's thought here. He's saying, give yourself, present your body, give yourself to God as, as the place of exchange, as the place where you offer your humanity and his divinity or her divinity or the divinity of life source can come and shine and flow through you. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world. Now, he doesn't use the word metamorph, metamorphosis. Metamorphu. Because metamorphu is light radiating from the inside out. He uses a uh, term here. I forget the exact Greek term when he says, do not be conformed to this world. But it's where we get the word schematic. Schemizo, I think, is the word. Schemizo, or however you say it. Not a Greek scholar either. Uh, but it's the idea of, an, of a schematic or an outward pattern that is applying pressure to you. So, man, there's so much cool stuff that Paul's saying in here. He's saying that we become conformed based on an outward pattern, based on an outward schematic that then presses upon us and molds us and shapes us. Um, yeah, I want to, I just saw Jeremy, Jeremy, I just saw your, your comment. Uh, come up. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that the Catholic services, I'm not passing judgment whether they do or don't. And I know you know this, but I just want to clarify for other people. Uh, I'm not saying whether that actually happens in the Catholic Mass and they're becoming divine. I'm, I'm not arguing for that at all. I'm just saying the origins and the structure and the form of what they're doing, uh, is congruent with what Paul is talking about the idea. The idea is consistent and in agreement with it. So anyway, let me come back to this idea of, of being conformed to a, a schema. So there is pressure from the outside. There is pressure in this world. There's pressure in society for us to conform, for us to conform ourselves to their schema, to their blueprints, and to their patterns. When he talks about do not be conformed to the pattern of this world or be conformed to this world, uh, he's also talking about the energy that comes from the planets and the stars. But I don't have time to get into that either. Dang, we could do a whole course on this as well, couldn't we? Just unpacking this verse because there's so much there. But again, if you think about it, the ancients believe, whether you, whether you want to accept this or not, the ancients believe that... Your stars determined your fate. That you were a victim to the energies, the ruling energies that came from the stars and the planets. And so Paul's saying, don't be conformed by all this outer pressure. Don't let your stars rule or determine your fate. Don't let 
society control your thinking and feeling and believing, but be deified, let the light that is within you be released by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind is another really interesting word because it means to return to an original condition. So renewing your mind is not about changing your mind. It's not about changing your beliefs. Change is involved in the process. But it's not about just because, see, if I do like what I said before, I believe that I don't have enough worth. I believe that I don't measure up. I believe that I don't have enough value. And it's a core heartfelt belief. That's going to impact my life. It's going to impact my relationships. It's going to impact the job that I choose. It's going to impact how worthy I think I am for all kinds of stuff, right? It's going to be a filter for how I experience life. And it came from out here. I didn't come out of the womb thinking I'm not enough, probably. Unless you believe in past lives and karma and all that. Maybe. You know, I mean, who knows? Uh, you understand what I'm saying? So then I can say, okay, well, I need to believe that I'm worthy. I'm still taking a pattern from outside. I'm still taking a belief from outside. And I'm trying to believe it by confessing it and affirming it and practicing it and imagining myself it. But I'm still taking something from outside and impressing it upon myself. So in that sense, I am changing form all right. I'm going from a form of a person who feels like I don't have worth, who feels like I don't measure up, and I work this process where I've now become in the form of a person who has a healthy sense of self-worth. I'm in the form now of a person who is worthy. So that changes my relationships, changes my job. Uh, maybe I get a better paying job because I think, damn, I'm worth more than you know making 30 bucks an hour, 10 bucks an hour, whatever it is that, that you're making. I'm worth more than that. My time's worth more than that. And so you, your life changes. So you change form. But watch this. You're still conform. You're still conforming. You're still taking from the outside, applying pressure, and becoming something else. And this is where we get we can get messed up with healing, because we think I've got to believe the healing. I've got to believe it. I've got to I've got to do all these different things. And so I'm taking something from the outside, and I'm pressing it into my soul. I'm pressing it into my mind. So I'm just changing form. I'm not going. I'm changing from one conformity to another conformity. And this is what happens in religion. So many people get into religion because uh, if they weren't born into it and they just bought into it and stick with it, they have an experience that then brings them into a culture, that then brings them into a group or a community or a church and whatever. And so they just change conformity. So they were conforming to, you know, classic example, they were conforming to going to bars and, and sleeping around, doing drugs, or, or just living a boring life, or whatever the case may be. You don't have to be totally messed up to find Jesus. <laughs> but you get it, right? I hung out with this group of friends. I did this set of behaviors. I slept in on Sunday mornings. I didn't pay my tithe. I did those kinds of things. Then I, I leave that group, and I come over here to this other group, and now I'm simply conforming to them. So I give, now I don't drink or smoke or cuss or chew or run with those that do or, and I'm in church every Sunday and I'm paying my time, whatever. But again, it's the pressure from the outside that's conforming you. So you're, you're, you're changing from one 
conformed pattern to another conformed pattern. That is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about abandoning, if you will, being conformed, allowing the forces outside of you and allowing the world to conform and bring you in your identity to a certain pattern that they gave you. But rather, by the renewing of your mind, by returning it to its original condition, now allowing the light to radiate, the divine light and life to radiate out from you. And when the divine light and life is radiating out of you, then you're going to begin to have a greater level of access to that which brings life and light and healing to yourself and others, or you're going to be able to prove the good, acceptable, and perfect, good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, is that making sense to you? Now, I'm going to shift. I'm going to bring it into a tarot card. This is a tarot card, so I don't know if y'all, hopefully there's not too much reflection on that. Um, God, I don't like the light on that. I'm just going to hold it up. Hopefully y'all can see it. It's a chariot, chariot card. Now, I know people are going to get freaked out because I'm a Christian and I'm using tarot. And I just want to invite you to consider the possibility, those of you that want to demonize me and say that I'm into witchcraft and all that. I want to invite you to consider the possibility that you are totally ignorant about tarot and its origins and its meanings. Particularly if you think it's of the devil. And if you think I'm wrong, then I'm going to ask you if you've ever studied it. And by that I mean actually studied the origins of it and the meanings of it that were put in by the people who first intended it. Uh, and if you haven't, then you need to admit that you're probably ignorant. And if you'd like to learn, I have a class I'm still developing uh, that will be an intro to the tarot because it, it needs to be so much taken down. Because the truth is, particularly in the Rider weight, which is what this card is, or I'm sorry, I don't like it's not the Rider weight, it's the Smith weight tarot card, um, comes out of European Renaissance, which was Christian Europe. Uh, and so you have a lot of Christian imagery, and you have a lot of imagery that isn't Christian as well, with embedded within the cards. Uh, so I'm, I just I want to give you the meaning of this, and I keep showing it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to describe it there. So you have a chariot rider, you have the sphinxes at the bottom, uh, and you see the different colors of the sphinxes, and that's the most important thing for you to get out of the card. Except that you notice the canopy over the charioteer um, has the stars on it. So I want you to just get a good look at that. All right. So what is this about? So the the truth is that this the imagery for this card, and I use the Smithwaite um, deck. I know it doesn't resonate with people, particularly if you're not of European descent. Um, and I can totally <clears throat> get that and appreciate that. Um, I if you if you're new to tarot and you want to Get a deck. I always recommend the Smithwaite, but the Thoth deck would probably be a good alternative to that if you want to understand the teachings that are embedded in the tarot cards. 
as they developed because uh, there are very specific patterns and imagery and pictures that are used to speak to your unconscious to unlock certain things that are missing from other decks. Enough said about that. So let's come back to the charioteer. This idea comes from Plato's allegory of the chariot. Now, Plato's allegory of the chariot, you have reason or discernment or the soul. The, the charioteer is reason or discernment or the soul. And then you had two flying horses. You didn't have sphinxes. You had flying horses. And you had one flying horse that represented man's animal nature and man's animal appetites. In other words, the part of us that came into this body and was kind of trapped in this material world. And then the other horse, or in this case sphinx, represented your higher ambitions and passions. Now, this is not good and evil for Plato. Remember, Plato wrote The Republic, and he put people in different classes or categories of uh, society. And he also had a belief in reincarnation and this belief that the soul came down and was sort of the divine spark that was trapped in the body. And some of that's Neoplatonism. I'm not going to get, I, I have some philosophers like PhD level guys that listen to me. So I always get nervous when I start talking about this stuff. And sometimes I'll call them and say, did I get that right? And they'll, they'll correct me or set me straight. They're great resources. Um, but I always get nervous when I talk about this stuff because I don't have the same level of expertise. So I'm trying to say it accurately. But again, Plato, so the, it's not good and bad. It's, it's whichever horse was leading the chariot kind of determined your place in a society. But then, of course, the idea was to aspire to that which was perfect and that we lived in a world that was imperfect. And so one horse represented that, that which would get lost in the imperfection and want to stay there and cling to it and hold on to it. And the other horse would represent that which would want to ascend. But then you had the, you had the charioteer who's driving the chariot through life. And that represents the soul or that represents the higher self or that represents the spirit. And the idea is if your life is without a charioteer, then these horses are just going to take you wherever they want to go. Now, Eliphas Levy added, uh, changed the idea from flying horses to being a sphinx. And Arthur E. Waite was a student of Eliphas Levy, so it shows up in his version of the tarot. So, but here's the idea. It's a little bit different in the tarot than Plato. It's based on Plato, but it's not conveying the same ideas. So you have the higher self, the deeper self. Let's call it the divine self. And then you have the personality being driven by two forces. One, the material bodily forces, materialism. Uh, drives for food, shelter, comfort, sex, safety, safety and security. That horse, or sphinx, is completely out of control for people right now. Uh, because this whole thing, whether whichever side of it you're on, whether you, you know, with, with the virus and the shutdown, whether you're on the economic side, the health side, or you're somewhere in between, whether you're on the hoax side, the government's trying to control us, or it's just the pandemic side, doesn't matter. The driving issue in all of it, 
the driving issue in all of it is passions related to materialism, be they economic or be they health-related. Fair enough? So that Sphinx is kind of out of control. Again, it's not good or evil. You, you have to have this stuff. I mean, material things are good to have and healthy to have, and it's important for us to have these things. I'm not passing any kind of value judgment. I'm just inviting you to recognize which horse is pulling the cart right now. For Plato, and, and again in this one, the other Sphinx, the other Sphinx is not about the good over the bad or higher aspirations. It's about the social self. The social self. The self, so for Plato, the idea, if you could become more honored within a society, the better. Well, how do you become honored within a society? How do you become honored within a society? By exchanging favors. By becoming someone that society likes. By becoming someone that fits in society. By becoming someone that people are, are supporting. And the more people you can get supporting you, the more you can elevate through society. And so in that sense, then, we begin to conform. So now we're back. Now I'm bringing it together, tying it together. In that sense, we begin to conform to the pattern of this world. And, it's, and it becomes our mask. It becomes our persona. It becomes the person we become convinced that we have to be to get what we want. So whether it be for material things, comfort, uh, food, shelter, sex, entertainment, enjoyment, money, whether it be those things, we that forms our sense of self and the exchanges of ourself that we're willing to make so that we can have those things. And then our social, our, our, if you go to Maslow's hierarchy, at the bottom of the hierarchy is, is safety and security needs. The bottom chakra, if you're into chakras, root chakra relates to your safety and security. And then the next thing is your social needs, the need to fit in, the need to find love, the need to find affirmation, the need to find community, the need to have relationships. And so who is that social self? And that becomes programmed on you. If you don't believe that is programmed into you, then you never watched a kid. You never watched a kid just strip naked and take off <laughs> uh, at church on Sunday and end up on the platform. But anyway, uh, yeah, I wouldn't know about that. But <laughs> Or coming in to the Easter program with the lizard, the, the wild lizard that he caught in the uh, parking lot as a tie clip. And amazingly, because he is the lizard whisperer, the tie clip stays on there during the whole Easter, the whole of the Easter program. Anyway, I digress. So we tell him, no, you can't do that. You have to do this. Learn your manners. Go to school. Get educated. All these things builds and develops that social self. Now, before you get this idea that, oh my gosh, if I don't um, give myself, if I, if I, if I give my, if I program my children and gave them a social self and that just, you know, messes them up so the divine light can't come out of them, that's just conforming them to this world. Don't go there because try, I mean, try just leaving them to themselves and see what happens. Uh, I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that in order for the divine light to come, 
you actually have to have a social self. You actually have to have, you have to have both of these. You have to have both of these. But the most important thing is that you have this. That you, that, that these are not the drivers of your life, but that the divine self or the higher self is driving your life. Which means you have to become aware of your patterns. You have to become aware of your social currencies. What did you use to get love? What did you have to do to get love from your father? What did you have to do to get love from your mother? What did you have to do to get acceptance from people on the playground? How have those patterns become ingrained in your life and how are they showing up today? And realizing that is not you. So... The first level that this light begins to shine out. Listen, this light isn't going to radiate out to everybody else without first rising within you. And as the light rises within you, it's going to expose. It's going to shine the light upon the social self that's embedded in your consciousness that you mistake as your identity, that most people call the ego, but it's not the ego. The materialized self, the, the self that's after all those material things, those two forces, there's going to become separation, not annihilation. And that's the problem. That's where, uh, where Eastern, some Eastern philosophies or a lot of pseudo new age philosophies or a lot of people that are still novices, in my opinion, they're new to, novice is not a bad word, it's just they're new to spiritual things, think, oh, i got to eradicate my ego. No, you don't eradicate your ego, but you don't let your ego, you realize that your ego is the combination of these two forces, but you don't disconnect the chariot because then you're just sitting there not going anywhere, which is what a lot of people end up doing. They end up in monasteries just meditating and trying to get to the higher realms, and they're not doing anything. They're disconnected from their chariot. You have to have those things driving your chariot. But you have to be aware of them, and you have to know when to use them, and you need to use them consciously, not unconsciously, where they take you over and use you. Is this, is this making sense to you? So, again, you know, um, there are principles to healing that we can talk about. And people ask me if I would do a class on that. There are principles to it. There are ways to direct this healing energy to places that it's needed. There are certain meditations that you can do. There are certain uh, simple things that you can do to access and move, if you will, divine light or divine presence or divine power or divine glory. But until it's released and unlocked, until it's opened up within you, then you're just taking something else from the outside and applying it, a principle out here, and applying it to try to be conformed. You're not being transformed. And if you want to see success, it has to be transformation. So you got to realize, now I'm going to make it practical for a few minutes, as practical as I can you got to realize where that social self is really trying to hold the reins. And that's the key. The social self is really trying to hold the reins. Uh, this whole thing with the pandemic right now is really exposing 
that other sphinx because we're trying to hold the reins. I know I have been, in certain ways, trying to hold the reins um, with 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 various different different things. You see what I'm saying? And if one part of you is trying to hold the reins, then it's not the higher self or the divine self that's holding the reins. Uh, if you feel your social significance slipping away and you begin to panic, you say, oh, I need to make that stop, then your social self is holding the reins or pulling too hard or leading the, the carriage rather than the divine self. So if you really want to become a vessel of divine healing presence and power, and this is why most people don't do it. This is, this is the, the hard truth of it. You have to study yourself. You have to be able to observe yourself, notice when you get triggered, notice where you have resistance, notice where you go unconscious, and become aware of all those different aspects about yourself. Okay, so so how do I do that? So <clears throat> I'll give you an example. Um, like, like as you're meditating, as you're asking these questions, as you're observing yourself, light will just come on. Um, there. So if you have strong needs, paying attention to your needs, if you have needs for attention, this is one of the things I saw in ministry. I saw it in myself very much so, and I saw it in other people. <clears throat> you know, one of, one of the problems that I had uh, growing up was I wasn't good at anything. Um, I was, at best, mediocre at everything. And I would have this, this craving and this desire to get honor from my peers, from my teachers, from my parents, to get the attaboy to fit in with people, whatever the case may be. And I just couldn't seem to find the strength that I had that would bring me that kind of social need met. Until I got into ministry, until I became religious and studied and realized I have a gift for communicating, I have a gift for preaching, I did start, you know, with a lot of this stuff, realizing it was within and the light started shining and so I could operate in gifts of the spirit, psychic gifts, however people want to understand it, like I told you about last week. Um, and man, the social accolades started coming my way for the first time in my life. For the first time in my life, I felt important. So one of the things I, I do is I, I counsel young people and... Uh, Someone who is a very gifted athlete, let's say, that is not just about their ability to play football or basketball or soccer or track. It becomes their social self. It becomes their social currency. Being a football player is their social currency. 
being the star of the team as their social currency. A lot of them don't even have to work on people skills because people just naturally want to be their friend. And when they come to the end of their career, be it in high school or college, when they come to the end of their career, they lose that social currency. And as a result, they lose that social self and they don't know who they are. So in the same token, if I could preach well, if I could amaze people with revelation, if I could do all that stuff, then all of a sudden now I have this social currency, I have this social standing, I have this social self. But man, did I get lost in that social self because I started living or trying to live or worrying about everybody's expectations of me. Well, what if I say this? Or what if I go this way? Or what if I want to do this? And so I'd have these urges and these, these, these impulses that were coming from my higher self, that were coming from the chariot driver, that were saying, go this way. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't go that way. That this, the, 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 the social horse or the social sphinx, the social self would start saying, no, you can't go that way. And I'd feel these little tugs from the higher self coming from within, these little impulses. No, 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 you can't go that way. If you go that way, people are going to think you're demonized. If you go that way, people are going to think you're a heretic. If you go that way, you're going to lose all your friends. And so that part is pulling. Or you're going to lose your finances. You're going to lose your comfort. You might lose your house. And so then it might be the other sphinx that's pulling. Or it might be both of them pulling. And the higher self's trying to say, no, you need to go this way. And so are you guys kind of getting that? So this card... The understanding of this card of this illustration is really what Paul the Apostle is talking about in Romans 12, being made new, being renewed, being refashioned from within or returning to your original condition, to being able to find the light within you, the sun, the sent one that is from God. Listen, nobody knows you better than you. Nobody knows your life better than your higher self, your deeper self. The greatest light that you have does not come from a book. The greatest light you have does not come from a set of cards. The greatest light that you can have does not come from a philosophy. The greatest teacher that you can find is not on the Internet or at a conference the greatest light that you have is the light that is within you. The greatest teacher that you have is the teacher that is within you. The only expert on you is you. The problem is, like me, like everybody, we sell out ourselves to conform to the pattern of this world. And so uh, to begin to, to, to let this, this light shine... Yeah, certain affirmations are helpful. Certain I am statements are helpful to realize I am light and life. I am an expression of the divine. I am a child of God. I am connected to healing power every moment of the day. I, the, the, the healing presence and power and life of God flows unhindered and flows without resistance within me. Those are powerful affirmations because those are true affirmations and that does help you align yourself to who you truly are. And so setting your mind on things above, renewing your mind to those things is really, really important.
But I think most of us know that. Don't let that go. Keep doing that. Do it more. I'm just trying to bring in this other element of study yourself. Notice your patterns. Do it without judgment. Do it without judgment. Notice your triggers. Notice your resistance that you feel. Notice when some idea or person is coming at you and you're feeling resistance to the information that they're presenting or you're feeling an emotional trigger and you want to just attack or go after them or you're feeling yourself get offended. Realize that's not coming from your higher self. That's not coming from your divine self. That's not coming from spirit. That's one of these sphinxes that is pulling you. It's the sphinx of of materialism and your material life and natural life that's getting pulled or it's the sphinx of your social self that's getting pulled and those are your best opportunities to step back and see yourself and then realize this is the last thing I'll throw out realize your enemies more often than not tell you truths about yourself but they tell them to you in ways that are often shaming harmful or difficult to hear but there is often, if you're honest with yourself, a kernel of truth within the things even that your adversaries say. And so, um, anyway, I hope this has been helpful for you. I went a while. I hope I kept my promise uh, about the things that we were going to talk about. People asked me if I would do a class on the divine, <clears throat> uh, divine healing. I'm going to put together a whole new syllabus on it. Um, so it's not something I'm going to uh, roll out right away but definitely something I'm going to work on. I do have a class on the introduction to the tarot that I'm going to be rolling out. I'm still getting some things finished up so I can get it up on a website. And they're waiting for me for stuff, and I'm waiting on them. So it's a collaboration there. Uh, and then I'm, I'm trying to um, think of ways to get more, um, to make more available, not just teaching like this, but... Um, maybe some workshops or some things. I realize a lot of you do not live in Pueblo. So if you have some ideas about how we can do that, uh, feel free to inbox me with those ideas. Uh, I am thinking about it. I am working on content. I am trying to get some stuff rolled out. Uh, I am going to charge for some of the stuff that I do. I'm going to do a lot of free stuff like this. Uh, I'm going to do some other stuff that I'm going to charge for because I have to make a living still too. Uh, which brings me to the last thing. Um, I do have a link to the Awakening Center. The money's not coming directly to me, but I do still get paid sometimes uh, from the Awakening Center. And so uh, if you want to contribute to what we're doing and help us, um, one of the things, one of the delays on getting material out is I'm not at a place right now that I can afford to hire professionals to do it. So I'm working with friends and volunteers and people that I'm manifesting but they're not getting paid, so they don't necessarily have the motivation to do it, and it's kind of hard to set deadlines. Of course, I have to put deadlines on myself. So anyway, if you want to do that, there's a link at the top of this. Uh, very much appreciate your support. Love all of you. Uh, I was able to see the comments today. It got a little bit distracting. I had to kind of tune it out because my mind was – otherwise, I, I wouldn't be able to do this. Um, but I'll go, I look forward to going back and looking at them. I'm sorry I'm uh, not great at responding or replying to all of them, but my time is limited. And so love all of you. Thank you again for joining me for this, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.